0: Our theme verse for the year is uh, Psalm 37. And uh, if you look at verse 23, the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 39. Let's start reading in verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar... "...an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man." This is Genesis 39, verse 2. "...and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand." And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. The Bible says that the Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. I believe that God has blessed America because of the, for the Christians' sake, for the believers' sake, those that are trying to serve the Lord. Amen? I believe that God will bless your workplace for your sake. I believe God will bless your home. If you're the only believer in that home, God will bless that home for your sake. Uh, I just think that's the way that God works. And uh, so now let's, let's read on. Um. The Bible says in verse 6, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And this is interesting. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. This is how much Potiphar trusted Joseph. Potiphar had no idea what he had. He gave it all to Joseph. Here, take care of it. You know the only thing that Joseph knew, or that that Potiphar knew? There, There was food on the table when he got home, there was something to eat when it was time to eat. Other than that, he just trusted Joseph. Amazing. 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 Verse 6 again, And he left all that he had in Joseph hand, Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had to eat, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Dear Heavenly Father, You have given us Joseph in the Bible, a man that You, have, that you speak nothing evil of. You've demonstrated for us in your word how a good man should walk, how he should behave. Your word says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Lord, we also understand that if that's your plan, then Satan also has a plan. And he has developed some enemies of the good man. So, Father, through this life of Joseph, help us to learn and apply it to ourselves. In Jesus' name amen now let's let's begin the bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord we're seeing here that joseph was a goodly man and yet in another place the bible says there's none that doeth good no not one so is that a contradiction in the bible no no the simple fact is that by nature all of us are fallen wicked sinners deserving of death in hell separated from god forever amen that is what we all have earned that's what we deserve And yet, God, by His grace, has has revealed Himself to us, has shown us His plan, and has given us the way to have our steps ordered through His Word so that, to the world, we can be good people. And Satan hates it. He hates it. Because the best example of God's grace in the world are sinners saved by grace, who God changes, and they just live differently. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. When things are good, they're different. When things are bad, they're different. When money's coming in, they're different. When money's not coming in, they're different. When the health is good, they're different. When the health is bad, they're different. We are not of this world. And Satan hates that. Amen? Because why? Not only are we light in the world, but we're also salt. We purify. Just as God blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake, Uh, the Christians are the salt of the earth, and we, we do preserve this nation by our righteousness and our holiness. But that salt sure stings in the wound of the wicked. They don't like it. They don't like it. I'll tell you what, you act like a godly man, boy, the world hates it, just hates it. They love Tim Tebow until he puts the Scripture on his eyes. They love Tim Tebow until he takes out an ad in the Super Bowl talking about abortion. He he's okay as long as he keeps his mouth shut. Isn't that interesting? That's the world. Now let me ask you. Well, well, just go on. I was going to compare. Who would you rather have, Tim Tebow or Ben Roethlisberger? What, what do y'all think? Some of you football fans are saying Roethlisberger. He's better. Priorities. Woohoo! Ouch! All right now, Satan. It, it's amazing. If this was a ship, this this the, the boat would be riding like this right now, man. Everybody's in the back. So, y'all are doing okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach right about here. You can go home. You don't you're, you don't need any more. <laughs> How many of you? It is your desire to be to be uh, scripturally to be scripturally a good man or a good woman. That's your, that's your desire. You, that, that's your desire before God. Well, you need to know you've got an enemy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may what help Devout. encourage. <laughs> yeah. He wants to destroy you So what are the enemies of a good man? We have the enemies of a good man Exhibited here in the life of Joseph In such an amazing way So let's let's, let's just look at them The first we've already looked at From Genesis 37 let's, let's go back there for a minute Genesis 37 This is where Joseph is sold into slavery And we see the first Of the enemies of the good man You know what the first enemy of a good man is? A worldly family. A worldly family. Look at what the Bible says in verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it unto his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Look at verse 11 or verse 10. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. He at least listened. So now look at verse 17. Or verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. See, here is a good man. He's a good young man. God has a plan for him. He's gifted him uniquely for his service. Amen? Well, did you know that you're gifted uniquely for God's service? He created you with specific gifts. He created you with specific gifts. This is for everybody. You have specific gifts. You have been created. And He's given you a dream. you have anybody that's saved here today? Anybody that's saved? Then I promise you God has pricked your heart about something He wants you to do for Him. That's what the Bible says. Every believer. And God has a specific plan for your life. And the first enemy that Satan has brought into this world system. Remember, he's the God of this world. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, who in time past walked according to the course of this world. He's established a course. And one of the first things he puts in your way as a believer is a worldly family. When you get saved and you decide to serve God, you're going to have family members who are going to try and stop you. And when you look at what happened with Joseph, the first thing that you see that his family members did, his family members rejected God's plan for them. Now, God's will is the same for every person. Did you know that? You hear people talk all the time about the will of God. Well, I want to know what the will of God is in this area. I want to know what the will of God... The Bible is very clear. It, it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number one, God's will is that everyone get saved. Everyone. Are you saved? Do you know for sure that you're born again? Young people, I want every person to look up here at me. Are you saved? Are you born... Look up here. Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you... Not I didn't ask you if your mom and dad are born again. Are you born again? Parents, have you had that conversation with your kids? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when, if your child died and you had to walk by that casket, would you know where they are? Do you know that your child has never promised another breath? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What is life? It's but a vapor that appeareth for a little time. and Vanisheth away. You, you don't have hope of the next breath. Are your children born again? We And we do worry about our kids, don't you? How many of y'all worry about your kids? I don't want my kids to grow up to be knuckleheads. I, I just want them to do right. You know, every once in a while, your kid will do something that's just really, really dumb. <laughs> and what's funny is, some of you are going, yeah. And some of you, Pollyannish. My perfect child would never do anything dumb. I can't help you. (laughs) You might as well go to sleep. Go back right now. I can't help you. But all of us, when we see characteristics or traits in our children, we get worried. And we try to overcome some of those traits, sometimes through the Word of God, sometimes through worldly reasoning. It's amazing how many people. Can, Can I just talk about a pet peeve for a second that has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon? If you'll give me permission to do that, would you raise your hand? All right. Some of you don't want to listen, so okay. Let me give you a pet peeve. We'll go to Barnes & Noble, and we'll get a book by an expert and think that's more authoritative than the man of God or the woman of God speaking the Word of God. Crazy. You understand how backwards that is. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, nor standeth in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water; he shall bring forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But they're not going to tell you that at Barnes and Noble. They're not going to tell you that. You're not going to get that on the radio. Clark Howard's not going to tell you that. The Word of God is true. Listen, come, bow at the feet of God's Word, not God's man. At the feet of God's Word and listen and trust. No one cares more about your kids than the people in this room. God has a plan for your children. They need to be saved. Your kids will either be in heaven or hell. One of the two. We're giving our lives for that. We care about it. And now I'm going to get mean. And you don't. Because you get them here one or two Sunday mornings a month. You don't care whether they're listening to what's going on. And that's the extent of the religious education. Folks, if you want to raise a Joseph, if you want to raise a child of integrity, it begins with the priorities that you establish in that child's life. That's where it begins. Do you know what? Satan's first enemy of a good man is a worldly family. And it's interesting. When we think of a worldly family, you know, I I think of some of you who have gotten saved and the rest of your family are unsaved. Well, there's no way that those people are going to understand what you're doing. The Bible says that the things of God are foolishness to the carnal mind. Can't understand them. They think you're crazy and they're going to try and hinder you in many ways. You're going to have to overcome that. The Bible says a prophet is not without honor. Here's what Jesus Christ said. A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. That's Jesus. Now, how many of you think Mary knew something special about Jesus? Yeah. So here's what happens. Satan's first enemy is a worldly family who rejects God's plan for them. Right? They won't won't come to Christ to trust Him as their Savior. They want to do their own thing. They want to practice their own religion. Don't don't bring that religion stuff in here. I don't want to hear it. And many of you have experienced that at family get-togethers, right? But what about Christians? What about people who claim to be Bible believers people who claim to have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who claim to name Him as Lord. Do you know what Lord means? Do you know what Lord means? He's your master. He's the one that orders your steps. And by orders, He says, do this. And you say, yes, sir. Amen. That's what your Lord is. And you know what keeps your kids from serving God? You. I'm not talking about the lost people out there now. I'm talking about members and attenders of Grace Baptist Church. You know what keeps your kids from serving the Lord? You do. Too much stuff going on at school, too much stuff going on in the sports world, too much stuff going on in your workplace. You're too tired, you're too busy to bring your kids and have them under the preaching and teaching and influence of god's word i'll tell you what can i just confess you know why i wasn't here during the song service our kids aren't here would everybody look stand up i want everybody to stand up look at this can can everybody see this right here it's empty it's empty Thanks. You can be seated. We've got leaders that claim to love God and believe His Word and come to church once a month, twice a month. Do Do you know the thing that hinders your kids from becoming a Joseph? Do you know what hinders you and me from becoming the people of influence that God can bless. You can, you can come and sit down, honey. Do you know what hinders us from being the people that God can bless? Worldliness. Worldliness. What is worldliness? It is anything. That gets between me and God's will and plan and purpose for my life. And it's so amazing, man. And I know that many of you have hard things going on in your lives. I can't imagine what it's like to live in some of the circumstances where God has placed you. Are you a Joseph in it? It's just amazing. Worldly families. First thing that happens is they are going to reject God's plan. You know that we have, and then number two, they are going, here's what they're going to do. They hate God's plan for them, and so they'll hinder God's plan for you. That's what worldly family does. That's what worldly family does. You know, there are many young men that God has called to the ministry, but they don't end up in the ministry because mom and dad won't let them go. Won't let them go. I can't stand to be that far away from my baby. You know what I'm so thankful for, man? Uh, I am so thankful that when, when God called me to preach my parents were the happiest people in the world it didn't really cost me anything It cost my dad his whole family that's what it cost my dad to be a preacher his whole family it didn't cost me anything I'm so thankful can I ask you a question and here's the deal man I wish that we could have a big rah-rah cheerleader you know jam for the lamb service okay uh, it would be nice if we all walked out of here saying, "Isn't this?" It's I just get so happy when I come. Well, that was Dave McCracken, wasn't it? Didn't that look like Dave McCracken? I just want to be. I'll tell you what. It, just how can I? How can we be happy? How can we? When we look at what happened in Joseph's life, the good man and the enemies. the the things that God placed in the way of this good man. How can we go on to the happy stuff when I as your pastor am observing the same characteristics of a worldly family in the lives of our church family? Can I ask y'all a question? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, man. I want to see some of these young men serve God with their lives. Whether it's, you know, as a businessman, you know, bank manager, archivist, engineer, welder, you know, the contractor, but I want you, I want you to pop can lid designer. Uh, I I want to see you guys serve the Lord that way. But I also believe God has, some of you young men and ladies, I believe that God has a plan for you to vocationally give your life to serve God. How many of you think there's probably some young people in here like that? You all think that? I wonder how many of your parents are for that. I wonder how many of your parents have had your kids around spiritual things enough to where they would even recognize the call of God. That's the first enemy. Worldly worldly families. Look at the text. Genesis 37. Look at what it says. This is such an interesting question. Verse 19. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. You know, when I was a young man, I remember sitting in church I'd be at some meeting and I was probably like this <laughs> I was a teenager too but I remember sitting there watching a preacher preach and genuinely experiencing what it's like to be in the presence of God's people when God's words proclaimed powerfully seeing something happening y'all know what I'm talking about I remember sitting there and thinking, "Man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that." And I would dream about it. Now, I also dreamed about being able to sing like David Phelps or whatever, and that never happened. We went to a concert with David Phelps to see him. How many know who David Phelps is? Sings the Gaither Vocal Band. And this guy was such a sissy; it was unbelievable. He's got these long, this long curly hair, and he kept going. <sighs> Just, we had to leave. I couldn't take it. Am I exaggerating? I promise you. Where was I going with that? Oh, I wanted to be able to sing like him. (laughs) Well, that's a dream that didn't happen because I didn't have that physical ability. But what do I get to do now? I get to stand up in front of a group of people and open up God's Word and speak it in such a way that something happens in God's people. I'm so glad that I had parents who said, Jimmy, run with that dream. We'll do everything that we can. Whatever it takes, we'll sacrifice in any way to see to it that you get that dream. But it's not an accredited school. But I can't get a student loan. But I'll have to work overtime. But I won't get to see him. It's too far away. I'm not going to give you that price. I'm so glad That I had parents who said, take that dream. It's from God. Not parents who said, I have my own dream for you. You can't have God's. Thank God for godly parents. Worldly families. Remember your dreams. Then the second enemy. Worldly success. Let's go back to Genesis 39. Worldly success. Verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He gets put over everything. Here's a kid who's his dad's favorite, and he gets put in, he, he gets put in charge of things as a 17-year-old boy. He ends up as a slave in a pit, and now the Lord was with him, and here he is. He's prosperous again i got to tell you, though, success and prosperity are dangerous twins. Dr. Grady said that the lions of Rome could not accomplish through persecution. Materialism has accomplished. Let me share something with you. A guy named Robert Semple, in 1804, he wrote about the history of the Baptists in Virginia. And remember, it was against the law to be a Baptist. You're put in prison, beaten. They take away your property, your money, in Virginia before the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Bill of Rights. Listen to what he wrote. The Baptists of Virginia initially profited from the war, this is the Revolutionary War, in that it brought all persecution against them to an end. But the event also marked the end of their spiritual advance. Robert Semple, who was 14 years of age when the peace treaty was signed in 1783, observed, here's what he wrote. The war, though very propitious to the liberty of the Baptists, had an opposite effect upon the life of religion among them. Listen to what he's saying. The war, it, it was a benefit financially to the Baptists and to their quality of life. But it had the opposite effect upon the life of religion among them, as if persecution was far more favorable to vital piety, to vital piety than unrestrained liberty they seemed to have abated in their zeal upon being unshackled from their manacles. This may be ascribed to several causes. Perhaps many did not rightly estimate the true source of liberty, not ascribe its attainment to the proper arm. In consequence of which, God sent them liberty and with it leanness of soul. This chill to their religious affections might have subsided with the war or perhaps sooner if there had not been subsequent occurrences which tended to keep them down. The opening of free trade by peace served as a powerful bait to entrap professors who were in any great degree inclined to the pursuit of wealth. Nothing is more common than for the increase of riches to produce a decrease of piety. Speculators seldom make warm Christians With some few exceptions, the declension was general throughout the state. The love of many waxed cold. Some of the watchmen fell. Others stumbled, and many slumbered at their posts. Can you imagine? Here you have Christians who, under persecution, are prospering. They get liberty and prosperity and freedom, wealth, and they forget about God. Do you know that that's a temptation for us? Remember what the Bible says in the book of Psalms? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now. It's interesting what success and prosperity does. But it didn't do that to Joseph. It didn't do that to Joseph. But I want you to see a compelling contrast. I want to compare Joseph to another man in the Bible. Keep your place in Genesis. But look at Second Chronicles 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Look at verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was sixteen years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. So here you have Uzziah. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6, famous passage? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. Remember what his response was? When he saw the Lord, he said, Woe is me, for I am unclean, for I am undone, for I dwell for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And he said this, For I have seen the Lord. He had seen the king Uzziah, and then he said, I also saw the Lord. Uzziah had died. This is the only king he had ever known. Listen to what the Bible says about Uzziah. Look at the kind of king he was. Verse 2, He built Eloth and, destroyed it, or, and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. This is the other king. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to, began to reign. And he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. And he, he was quite a man. Look at verse 4. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 5. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah. And look at the end of verse 5. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So he goes against the Philistines. He, takes the, he destroys the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, the wall of Ashdod. God, verse 7, helped him against the Philistines, the Arabians. The, the, in, in verse 8, the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah. He entered into Egypt. He strengthened himself exceedingly. Verse 9, moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem. Verse 10, he built towers in the desert, digged many wells. At the end, he says he loved husbandry. He was a man's man. Verse 11, moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men. That went out to war by bands according to the number of their count. More than 300,000 of them. Look at verse 15. He made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones with all catapults. This guy was a cool king. And he was a godly king. That's what's awesome. Amen. God prospered him. He had great success. Look what the Bible says. Verse 15, and he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped. What's it say there? Will everyone read it? Till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, "'It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense.'" Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. And look at Uzziah's response. He's a successful, strong man. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Look at verse twenty-three. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belonged to the kings, for they said he's a leper. You know our our series is from the pit to the palace. Amen. Uzziah went from the palace to the pit. What a contrast! What a contrast. And here's the deal. Both of them very successful at a very young age. Success doesn't have to ruin you, but most of the time it does. You have to be a godly person to be able to handle success. And I want you to notice the distinction. Here's what happened. You had some valiant men of God who stood in the face of Uzziah and said, It will not be so. And what did God call them? Valiant men. But how did he respond? He got mad. He got mad. See, here's the difference between Joseph and Uzziah. Uzziah, his success gave him a sense of entitlement. And he was going to take for himself privileges that were not his. And go to a place that was not his. Look at Joseph. Go back to Genesis 39. I want you to see just a distinct contrast between Joseph and Uzziah. Now remember, Joseph, has, he's a goodly person. He's really good looking. Let, takes after his mother. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said... Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Now look at this. Here's Joseph's success. Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. He doesn't have any idea what's in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me. Look at this. But thee. Because thou art his wife. You see, do you know what his success? In his success, he still remembered that God was with him. And that everything he had wasn't from the hand of Potiphar. Everything that he had had was from the hand of a gracious God who made him to prosper. And he knew his place. And that place of privilege with that woman. Here's a single man. With that woman belong to his master, not to him? You see, in our success, and all of us are successful, in our success, do we have a sense of entitlement? And when the man of God, like today, when I stand up and I tell you that one of the greatest hindrances to our young people prospering is their families. Now, here's the deal. When you've got a prosperous man, do you know what that does? It makes him mad. Who are you to tell me what to do? Well, I'm just the man who says, Jesus Christ had suffered the little children to come unto me. Amen? I I, I understand the Bible that says, uh, flee youthful lusts. I understand where Paul told Timothy, his son in the faith, that... He needed to study the doctrine and know it. For by it, he would save, both save himself and those that hear him. I know that the Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I know, I know that the Bible says it's the responsibility of the older men to teach the younger men. It's the responsibility of the older ladies to teach the younger ladies. I know that's what the Bible says. That does not happen when those younger people are not here. What are we going to do, folks? What are we going to do? And so I wonder, what is our response going to be to the truth? So here you have Satan's enemies against the good man, a worldly family and worldly success. Um, then we'll just go on. Do you know what the next enemy? Worldly success. Now, is success wrong? No. God gave Joseph success. The Bible told said that in, in, to, to Joshua that you'll have good success. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, And whatsoever you do shall prosper. Prosperity is the gift of God. Amen? God giveth to all men things freely to enjoy. So prosperity is good. Success is good. But it's not good if it keeps you away from receiving the instruction of God's Word and gives you a sense of entitlement. Keeps you from resisting temptation. Now, look at what the Bible says. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph... And she said, lie with me. We have worldly families, worldly success. You know what else God's attack on a good man is? Worldly women. Worldly women. Now, let me tell you, there are two kinds of women. There are two kinds of women, good women and bad women. Amen? Amen. Man, this is the quietest sermon we've had in a long time two kinds of women godly women and good women right women and wrong women the wrong kind of woman says lie with me how many of you think that's the wrong kind of woman would you is that the wrong kind of woman okay so ladies let me ask you a question are you the right kind of woman or wrong kind of woman That Is a brutal question to ask a lady isn't it Like the des bryant thing all you sports fans It's not a question that you want to be asked So here let me ask you ladies a question You're the right kind of woman or the wrong woman Do your clothes say lie with me Or do your clothes say I'm a temple Of the holy spirit What do your clothes say See, every man knows that a woman appeals to a man in that way through the eye gate. How many of you men know that? Any of you men, and don't raise your hands because this would have to be another counseling session. (laughs) But how many of you men don't like to look at pretty women? Can you see how that might require a counseling session? (laughs) We do. We just do. That's the way it is. And and don't you love the woman that says, well, he shouldn't be looking. Okay, we'll all just put our eyes out so you can dress like a harlot. Is that fair? Is that what we need to do? Now, here's the deal. When, When you don't get specific... In our culture, people don't get it. They don't get it. Ladies, if you can see the shape of your rear end, you're saying, come lie with me. And a hush fell on the congregation. What do your clothes say? The Bible says, the Bible says that your body is for your husband. Only for him. What does your shirt say? Come lie with me. Come lie with me. What does it say? I know that there are probably some people sitting in this room. We shouldn't be talking like this in church. Really. Where else are we going to talk about it? Oprah Winfrey going to tell you? Oh, David Letterman. He'll help you with that. You think? Uh, how about this? What do your clothes say? What do your eyes say? What do your eyes say? Listen to what the Bible says about the way ladies are supposed to be. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. Shamefacedness. Have you noticed that women don't blush anymore? The things that are said on television, the things that are said publicly—it's just unbelievable. And the way—and and you know that that's true because Christians don't know how to dress. We have ladies who come to Awana in clothes that say, "Come lie with me." it's wrong it's wrong what do your eyes say wrong kind of woman then the right kind of woman there's a right kind of woman you know what the right kind of woman does the right kind of woman says I am going to adorn myself in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety that's what it says you know what sobriety is sobriety is have you ever been in a room in a room with a woman that is so loud and boisterous and over the top that she draws the attention from everything else in the room? How many of you have been in a situation like that? That is not a godly woman. That is not. Are you saying I can't have personality? Yeah, you can have all the personality you want. But when you are the center of attention in a room, that is not shamefacedness and sobriety. Amen? Now, have I said anything that's not in the Bible? Except for when I had to specifically identify the kind of apparel that people are wearing. Um, if it stretches over you, it's not godly. Can, can I just say that? I mean, if you understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, gonna keep, I'm not going to move off of here until I get the impression that the majority of the people in the room understand what I'm saying how many of you understand what I'm saying how many of you men agree with what I'm saying amen amen, amen. Um, the right kind of woman now here's the deal if you're the right kind of woman do you know what you're going to do for your husband you're going to understand that there is a there is the wrong kind of woman lying in wait for your husband amen when if he leaves the house and you look like hagar the horrible you know and you're yelling at him the whole way take out the trash you slug you never do anything yeah. i love you and then she gets to he gets to work and there's some little honey that no, that, that has seen A man who's exhibiting the traits of godly manhood. Do you know how attractive that is to a woman? And she starts... (laughs) And she thinks he's wonderful. And she laughs at everything he says. And she finds a way to brush up against him anytime she can. Ladies, do you know what you need to do? You need to fight. For that man, there was a time when he thought you were attractive. There was a time when he thought you were so special that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with you. Amen. Amen. I was listening to James Knox. He said, um, "He said, you men, your your wife, godly lady, she's attractive. She acts like a lady. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more attractive to a man than a woman that looks like a woman, a godly lady. It's a very attractive thing." And so she comes home from the, she's leaving the grocery store. The guy checking her out is checking her out. And she kind of feels good about herself. And she comes home, walks in the door. This is James White, or James Knox. He says, uh, she walks in the door. And her husband says, are the hamburgers done yet? <laughs> Here's the deal. We can be the right kind of mate or the wrong kind of. We can, be, we can make ourselves appealing to our spouse, or we can drive our spouse into the arms of the wrong kind of person. Now, let me say this. It, it doesn't matter if you are married to Hagar the Horrible. I don't care if she looks like you can put her face on a bowl of dough and make gorilla cookies. You married her. You have no excuse for straying. Ladies, if your husband cheats on you, it is not your fault. Amen? Amen. But maybe if you were the person that you needed to be, he would have less temptation to do that. and this is where we have to get down to individual responsibility and individual accountability. It's my job to be the husband that I'm supposed to be, it's her job to be the wife that she's supposed to be. And do you know what all of this is? This, the reason that we have to have this conversation? Is because one of God's enemies to a good man is a worldly woman. So I wonder the music that you listen to, does it say come lie with me, or does it say honor the Lord? The television shows that you watch, what is it what do they say? The the atmosphere that you are around all the time is it feeding your spirit or is it feeding your flesh? The Bible says, "Flee youthful lusts." All right, so let's go on. Enemies to a good man. Um, I want you to see Joseph's response to the temptation. He had the the worldly woman, verse eight, but he refused. But he refused, and said unto his master. And and I want you to see something about refused. Take the D off of that. And what's the word? What's another word that's spelled that way? Same thing. It's the same thing. Do you know what this approach was to him? It wasn't temptation. It was disgusting. Do you know what's interesting? And this is what is so interesting. I think this is fascinating about Joseph. Nowhere... Is it even implied that he ever even considered acquiescing to her? Well, I'm just a man. No, you're an animal. A man who's a good man and a godly man resists temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? There's no indication that he ever even considered it. He refused it because it was disgusting to him. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth. And we, we read that list a minute ago. And he lists all of these things that he could lose. But that's not what stopped him. He said, and sin against God. Do you know what it is? It's a sin against God. Men, do you know what it is when you watch that lady walk down the street and you don't take your eyes off of her? Do you know what that is? That is a sin against God. That's what that is. It's not you just being a man. It's you being a sinful man and sinning against God and then asking God to bless you. It's sin. It's wrong. It's a sin against God. And look at the way that that Joseph describes it. You're not going to get this description from the aforementioned Oprah Winfrey. You're not going to get this description, certainly not going to get this description, from David Letterman. Right? You know he's a pig, right? How many of you know he's a pig? He's a piece of garbage, a piece of filth that you wouldn't scrape off the bottom of your shoe. And yet he's in most people's homes, listening to him comment and mock everything that's good and right and decent and wholesome and pure. Right? Here's the way that Joseph described it. Look at what he says the end of verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin? Against God. Bill Clinton might could have learned something from that verse. How about every political commentator? Everybody does it. Everybody lies about this. Everybody does Not everybody. There are a few good men who understand that sexual sin is great wickedness. And remember what Jesus Christ said. If a man looks after a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery already in his heart. And do you know what that is? It is great wickedness. Enemies to the good man. A worldly family. Worldly success. Worldly women. And then worldly justice. Worldly justice. What happened? What's the old saying? Hell hath no, no fury like a woman scorned. It's not exactly true, but it can be close. And she got mad. And he ran away from her. And don't, don't miss this. She didn't only tempt him once every day over and over and over again until she finally, fought, finally caught him alone. Uh, I think it was completely unintentional. But as soon as he knew that he was alone with her, he needed to be gone. Gentlemen, do not ever put yourself in a position where, number one, something wrong could happen, and number two, something wrong could be said. About something that never happened. Nothing happened. And the justice system destroyed him. Do you know why? Number one, the Bible says a thing is supposed to be established in the mouth of one of, of two or three witnesses. How many witnesses were there? One. Was it a trustworthy witness? Do you know how we know it wasn't a trustworthy witness? Do you know who Potiphar was? He was the captain of the executioners. How many of you think that attacking the captain of the executioner's wife would be a capital offense? Why didn't he kill him? He knew she wasn't telling the truth. False justice. Worldly justice. Here's what Jesus Christ said about that. He said, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. You know, when you do right, the world's not going to speak well of you. You know, you know, if David Letterman ever started talking good about us, we're doing the wrong thing. Amen? If the world doesn't like what you're doing, praise God. You're doing the right thing. Then listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Someone has said doing right is its own reward. Amen? But Joseph's reward for doing right was to be put in prison. He was to be put in prison. Don't expect the world to praise you for doing the right thing. Don't Remember, the majority is almost always wrong. It, it, because the world is against what you're doing, that's one of the enemies of the good man. So you just keep struggling. Keep, keep going. That's what Joseph did. All right. Enemies, number one, worldly family. Number two, worldly success. Number three, worldly women. Number four, worldly justice. And number five, worldly expectations. Look at Genesis chapter 39. Everybody still with me? We doing all right? Haven't gone as long as a basketball game yet. We're okay. Verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. How many of you think it was right for Joseph to be in prison? Uh, No. Wrong justice. So did Joseph have the right to complain and be bitter? Isn't it interesting? Why was Joseph able to respond properly? Let me read something to you that John Phillips commentator wrote: "Not for Joseph was the long face, the sullen look, the resentful air. How many of you think our young people could learn something just from that? Not for him were senseless criticisms of fate and long-wasted hours plotting revenge. Not for him, the futile cursing of God and the gnawing cancer of longed for revenge. Not for Joseph, the dull acquiescence with fate that would have turned him into a plotting brute. Some people, you watch them, they're going through a horrible situation, and this is the way they go through it. Just trust in Jesus. That wasn't Joseph. That wasn't Joseph. Evidently, Joseph decided once the initial stunning shock was absorbed that God had some wise purpose in allowing him to be sold as a slave. All things work together for good to those that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He might well have assured himself. The will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. I will therefore trust God in these dark circumstances. If God wants me to be a slave, I shall be the best slave in Egypt. I shall study my master until I know him better than he knows himself. I shall study his interests and make them my own. And I shall perform every task allotted to me, not as unto Potiphar, but as unto the Lord. Thus, these bonds will no longer be the bonds of a slave. They'll be the bonds of the Lord. I shall consider myself God's bond slave. And in all my ways and words, I shall endeavor to please him. So often, adverse circumstances find us bemoaning our fate instead of looking for ways to glorify the Lord Jesus in them and through them. We have to learn life's adversities before we can be trusted with life's advancements. Amen? And Joseph was that kind of man. Here he is in the prison. Later on we would see that when he goes and sees the two men who have been imprisoned with them and they have dreams, he sees that they're sad. He is so up that he notices when prisoners are down. He had a good attitude, a good spirit. And here's the thing that you've got to remember. In the prison, who was with him? The Lord was with him. How many of you realize the Lord's with you in whatever situation you're in? Right this moment, he's with you. You're not alone. How's your response? How's your response? You say, you don't understand how bad my situation is. I know I don't understand. I don't. But I know that he giveth more grace. It's there, it's ready for you. Worldly expectations. He's back in the pit. Can you imagine when he was made a slave? Somebody probably said, Well, it can't get any worse than this. Listen to what James Knox wrote. From daddy's house to the pit, from the pit to the slave trader's caravan, from the caravan to servitude, the poor boy is surely due for a break. Instead, he ends up falsely accused and in prison. Through it all, Joseph utters not one word of complaint. How can this be? Faith, my friend. Faith. Have you forgotten the dream of the sun, moon, stars, and sheaves bowing before Joseph? Well, God has not forgotten. And his trust in what God promised him carries him through every trial. I want you to understand, God is with him. You say, I'm in this dark time. How can I walk through it? By faith. Do you really believe God? Let me ask you. Do you really believe God? Do you believe Him? Do you really believe His promises? If you believe Him in the light, then you have to believe Him in the darkness. You must. When am I going to be lifted out of this pit? Well, I know that Joseph, I, I, I haven't studied the exact amount of time, I know he was in prison for at least 13 years. How long have you been in trouble? Six weeks? A month? A year? Two years? Thirteen long years with no hope of the sun, And he prospered and excelled and was able to praise God. Do you know what our problem is? Our problem is we think we deserve better than what we have. Would you turn to one last verse and we'll be done. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And I know this has been a hard and sobering message. Folks are thinking, we just need to get in line with Scripture. James chapter 4. Look at verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence? Even of your own lusts that war in your members, you lust and have not; you kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain; you fight and war, you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. What? What did Joseph flee? Huh? Adultery. Look at this. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Remember, enmity is warfare, hostility. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Do you think that's vain? But he... Giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Look at this. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Have you humbled yourself in your trouble yet? Are you still saying, Why me, God? Look at this I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm trying to do it right. Why does this happen to me? Or have you humbled yourself? You know what humbling is? Oh God. Purify my hands and purify my heart. I'm an adulterer. My friendship with the world has given me wrong ideas. I'm looking in all the wrong places for the answers to all of my trouble. This great wickedness that's oppressing me, Lord, forgive me. And I submit to whatever it is that you're bringing me through. Lord, I deserve it. I deserve worse forgive me I love you and I trust you and I'll walk through it as long as you would have me you know what God does he then lifts you up but when we lift ourselves up say God how could this happen to me You get pushed down farther and farther until someone says to you, well, good news is it can't get any worse. And then it does. Humble yourself in the sight of God and He will lift you up. You know what the final enemy of God, of the good man is? It's just pride. Thinking too much of ourselves when what we genuinely deserve is the fires of hell forever. Amen. What are the enemies? Worldly family, worldly success, worldly women, worldly justice, and worldly expectations. <laughs> Have have we about covered it? How many of you have experienced some of those enemies in your own life or you're experiencing them right now? Amen. Have you humbled yourself yet? Or are you still in this mode? Isn't it interesting? Joseph was never in this mode. I got to tell you, I'm no Joseph. I'm the one that has to keep getting bam, bam, bam. That's why it's better to humble yourself. Amen. Your heavenly Father